standard issue for all women. Oh, hey, welcome to one of this week's Sunday Chops. Clearly, we are fattening you up for Christmas. Over in your other serving, you can hear us chatting with standard issue fave, comedian Jen Brister. She's only gone and written a book. It's called The Other Mother and is based on her columns for <coughs> standard issue. And we've only gone and interviewed her. It's the circle of life. Over on this here, Chops, I am mostly listening in awe to Dr Jane Gunter, gynaecologist, expert on women's health and no-nonsense talking author of bestseller The Vagina Bible, who is busting myths about the vulva and vagina all over the shop. Trust me, this is fascinating. Prepare to gasp whether there's a penis in sight or not. And that reference will very much make sense post-podcast, promise. It is worth pointing out that when I do talk, I make a really dubious comparison to seeing women as objects and selling a sofa. I, I don't know. I've got nothing for you. It happened. Please focus on what Jen says. And without further ado. I am joined on the phone, well, Skype, by Dr. Jen Gunter. Jen, hello. Hello, how are you? I'm well, thank you. First up, I've got to say that I love that you've called it the Vagina Bible, given the organised religion, not always a big fan of vaginas. Right, I know. There was a little bit of a, I guess, a double meaning there. I mean, the original meaning of the word Bible is the word or the truth, right? And yeah. so this was the truth about the vagina. But yeah, obviously, it was a little bit of a side poke at those who seek to keep people from facts about the reproductive tract. Yeah, which leads me really neatly. I was almost tempted to just start this interview by going, Jen, what the fuck? I know, right? What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) So the subtitle to the Vagina Bible is The Vulva and the Vagina Separating the Myth from the Medicine. So let's start there. Why is there so much mythology around the vagina? Well, you know, I think that it really, if you sort of think about maybe what's the like the core thing that got everything on the wrong track is is really this whole idea that the vagina and reproductive tract is dirty, right? And that mm-hmm. suits the patriarchy very well to keep people shamed about their body parts. You know, if if you can't even say the word vagina or vulva or clitoris or orgasm in public, then that means that those things are shameful and they're not just like normal parts of your body and normal functions. And when things are shameful, you can't ask your friends about them. You feel embarrassed to bring them up at the doctor's office. So, so you know, you, you sort of go down this path of only being able to get information probably from more clandestine places, which, you know, may not be factual or may not have your best interest at heart. And then, you know, medicine's been steeped in misogyny as well since mm-hmm. the beginning. I mean, every, every profession has, right? So, yeah. you know, so I, so I don't know if medicine's worse than any other profession, but that being said, that the net effect is that if you have modern medicine and only until very recently have you had 50% of medical students being women, you get past, even well-intentioned physicians pass along dogma. I mean, I remember in the 80s when I was in medical school, a male physician telling me that white cotton underwear would prevent yeast infections. And I said, well, that's a purity myth because how would white protect my skin? And I said to him, men's genitalia is external. If white garments were protective, shouldn't men be wearing them? What was, <laughs> I mean, what was his response? He didn't say anything. He just looked at me like I was some creature that had walked through fire to come up from Hades to torture him, (laughs) I suppose. Um, I mean, he wasn't a bad person. He wasn't some creepy doctor dude. He just had never thought about it that way ever. And why would you? If you've never had a vulva, you would not think of it that way. And if you don't 
realize that what you're saying are really purity myths, right? Like women should be wearing, you know, big white cotton underwear that covers half their body, like from Victorian era, right? Like bloomers, we should be in bloomers, mm-hmm. right? To protect ourselves. Yeah, love a bloomer. Um, and if bloomers are your jam, that's fine. It's, <laughs> it's just different if a doctor is telling you that, you know, you should be all like gusseted up there. <laughs> that touches really neatly on the fact that something that's covered in the vagina Bible is that actually women's bodies weren't even researched. They weren't available for research until relatively recently, which also adds into the fact that that so little research has been done on them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they couldn't um, dissect female cadavers. They couldn't examine women. I mean, you see all these illustrations from doctors from the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, and they're doing exams of women who are wearing big dresses with their hand reaching up under the dress. (laughs) I mean, you know, like if you can't look at the part involved, like that's a bit of an issue. And so, you know, women being property, right? That you're property because you're married or you're your father's property Uh until you get married means that, you know, nobody could look at you. So women were just taught to accept less, right? We were taught that we couldn't have, you know, not me, but before my time, but, you know, women didn't have property. They couldn't vote. The idea about saying, hey, you should look at my body. How would you even think about that if you don't, you're not even allowed to own property? Okay, so I think we've covered a couple of reasons as to the answer to the next question. But what made you want to write the Vagina Bible? Well, you know, I've been out there dispelling myths for quite some time online. You know, I think that's what I'm sort of known for, the, the myth debunker of the vagina and vulva. And I had this day in the office where I had four or five women have totally misinformed ideas about their bodies or about yeast infections or something else. And each one of them had got that information from a different place, like maybe her mom or sister magazine, the nebulous internet. I mean, often people can't even say where they got it. The messaging comes from so many places or some dude, right? The least informed person on the subject. <laughs> and and I, after, you know, spending the time and explaining why that was incorrect and what was correct, they looked at me and said, how did I not know that? I heard those words, how did I not know that, like five times in a row. And I sat in my office thinking, well, how did they not know that? Like, how did they not know that? And I was just like looking around my office and I still have a few textbooks. I have some old ones that are almost as good as they were 40 years ago. You know, they were gifted to me and passed along because they have beautiful drawings and, you know, some modern ones. It's nice sometimes to have a textbook and sort of divorce yourself from that online, from the cacophony online, right? And uh, I just thought women need a goddamn textbook. They need a goddamn textbook and I'm going to write one. I love it. It feels it feels powerful in my hands, like having that information, because I'm really interested in women and women's issues. I found books I've read. We've just done a big series about the menopause. But until I was talking to women who are experts in these fields, I knew for cool, really. And that's astonishing. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, on one hand, look, I know fuck all about the knee and I'm a doctor, <laughs> right? So this idea that, well, I'm just being honest, right? Like, and I know less about the foot. I know less than fuck all about the foot. So i uh, some of my questions about the legs that I've got for later. I <laughs> <laughs> done it. Um, but so, so this idea that you should know every single thing medically about your body part, I think is not true. I think that we're doing women a disservice by saying that because I've been in OBGYN for close to 30 years, right? So, so I mean, obviously I know everything, but I, I know 
I just have a general layman's terms. I think everybody could have more than a general layman's terms about every body part. I think that would serve everybody. You would then be able to advocate for your body. You'd be able to get better care. Mm -hmm. You know, going back to the knee, you'd be able to say, well, why do I need that MRI? Like, why do I need to pay that extra money? Or why do I need to have that surgery? Like, you should be asking those questions about every body part. But it is that thing of of knowledge being power and women being able to go in and know that bit more that they can talk to doctors and have them take them seriously because there is still very much like women are seen as hysterical and not treated fairly with how we feel pain and stuff. Oh, absolutely. I mean, because the whole thing is, is first you have medicine as complex. So that's the same whether it's the knee or the vagina, but you don't have any shame talking about the knee, right? Like there are doctors who are uncomfortable talking about sex and body parts, you know? I mean, if you're an ophthalmologist and you're only looking at eyeballs, that maybe that's okay. Um, or, if you, or you've chosen that field. But, you know, if you're a general practitioner or an internal medicine doctor or a gastroenterologist or an OBGYN, you know, if you're a field that deals kind of with anything from like the neck to the mid thighs, you know, you may have to ask people questions related to their genital tracts. Even in medicine, speaking more and more about these things, I think will just help everybody be more comfortable about it. I mean, I know many of my colleagues who are not in my field say that when they see my tweets flying by about things or hear me talking about, you know, the general tract, just in a way like it's totally non-sophomoric, we can have these conversations, it makes it easier for them. As if to ram home the fact that there is still this shame and this stigma and that the patriarchy has totally sold us this notion that vaginas are dirty. There were even hitches in promoting the vagina Bible online, right? Oh, absolutely. What happened was my publisher in the States, Kensington, wanted to do promoted tweets. And they wanted to say, hey, you know, check out the vagina Bible by OBGYN Jen Gunter or, do you know, everything vaginal, you know, sort of, you know, cute little quippy tweets like that. Mm -hmm. And they were all denied. The promoted tweets were allowed to go through if the words vagina, vaginal or OBGYN were included. Oh, my God. Even OBGYN. Even OBGYN. Yeah. I mean, and it's such an easy problem to solve, which again speaks to the systematic misogyny. Publishers could easily have verified accounts right? For ads. So that you would know that what they're promoting isn't something salacious, whatever that, I mean, I don't, I don't even know what they're worried about. I mean, but regardless, if publishers had uh, verified accounts, then Twitter would know that, that this is a legitimate book from a legitimate person. They don't seem to be worried about information coming from white supremacists, but information coming from doctors about the vagina. Ooh, wait, that's too much. Yeah. Come on, calm down. Yeah. Calm down. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny, you know, the more you talk about things, the, you know, the more people start to pay attention and start to look, but Twitter hasn't changed those rules. Facebook hasn't changed those rules. Instagram. It's amazing to me that there's so many, especially on Instagram, there's so many posts that are clearly selling sex with people. I mean, I don't, I mean, they're selling a product with sex, you know, mm-hmm. the, you know, these influencers dressed in tiny bikinis or just tiny little circles covering the nipples, that kind of thing. And I mean, I'm no prude. I could care less, whatever, however people want to dress, but those, those things are fine. Right. So if you're objectifying a female body, that seems to be okay. But if you want to provide factual information about it, well, like that's that's not okay. I know that you've linked it sometimes to abortion rights in America and obviously like controlling women's bodies. That's still a massive issue. Why do you think we're still tied into this shit and still believing it and still being sold it? Yeah, I mean, I still think it comes back to the fact that the majority of society is patriarchal, mm-hmm. right? Men hold the power and women are largely excluded. I mean, that's basically it. And that serves the people who are in power. 
and I think it can come from different ways. So I still think we see ramifications from Victorian era purity. We see ramifications from Freud. I mean, there's still people who talk about vaginal orgasms. There's no such fucking thing. It's <laughs> yeah. just all an orgasm. It doesn't matter if you orgasm because you got nipple stimulation. It doesn't matter if you orgasm because you put a vibrator on the clitoral glands. It doesn't matter if you orgasmed from a penis. It doesn't fucking matter. Did you orgasm? great. That's the answer. Um, but people are still like you, and you'll see women's magazines perpetuating that myth, like, Ooh, tips and tricks for the vaginal orgasm, meaning that that's somehow better, that somehow it's better if you orgasm with a penis. No, I always tell people orgasms like a party. Did you have fun at the party? It didn't matter if you were at the party with a penis. It mattered that you had fun at the party. Yeah. Yeah. And also that whole thing that women's sexual pleasure is still seen as secondary. That is still something that absolutely exists. I remember when I was younger, there was a magazine in the UK called More Magazine. And it was sort of aimed at early 20s. But of course, at 16, I was reading it. And there was an article that was 100 sexual tips. And I wrote them all down, Jen. I've got them all in a little book. I've kept it because it's hilarious. And number 68 was, whenever you see his penis, gasp. (laughs) How fragile must men be that that's a tip? Also, that's not always appropriate. <laughs> right. I mean, it's just, yeah, I mean, it's so it's so exclusive to people who don't partner with penises, first of all, because mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of people, women who partner with women are tend to be having more orgasms because, you know, someone, oh my God, a friend of mine who's, who's, who's gay made the, the greatest quote. She goes, nobody leaves till all the ladies are satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm like, wow, that's a really great quote. And so we see all of this is sort of this idea that the penis is this mighty sword that we should all be like fanning ourselves over. I mean, and you know, there are good men who are not like that. Absolutely. But then why, why are these magazines promoting that? Because it sells, because I truly believe if since the beginning of time, you know, women, you think about what's just changed like in the last hundred years for women. hundred years is such a small period of time. Like we think, oh, I've always been able to vote, right? I've always been able to own property. But that's really a relatively recent gain. Yeah. So if you think about since the beginning of time, that the degree of oppression, those things I think are almost built into our DNA, right? Mm-hmm. That that's why I think there's it, the sort of the natural and organic business is so predatory because they use the same words of purity culture. They're like pure, clean, natural. I mean, those are words that would have been used to describe the ideal bride in the 1800s. Yeah, well, it's like if you sell in a sofa, you want it to look in its best nick. And those that was like totally the language that we use about selling women, whether it was from father to husband, or even today to sell a product. Exactly. And so it's fascinating to me that, you know, that the same sort of using the patriarchy is a very much part of wellness. It's a huge part because it's largely aimed at women. And what do you want to use? You want to use the language that taps into some kind of primal fear. I think that we are generations away from words like purity not affecting us. I mean, how could it not? I mean, I mean, I was a teen in the 80s, the 70s and 80s. And oh, the undercurrent was, I mean, it still is not today. You know, if you have sex before marriage, that's loose. You know, ooh, a, a girl in my school got pregnant. Everybody talked about it. Like nobody talked about the guy who got her pregnant. 
right? Nobody talked about him in a shameful way. I mean, and that's just 30 years ago. That's not that long. And, uh, you know, there's still women who are afraid to use tampons because they're worried it's going to take away their virginity. I'm like, virginity is a societal construct. It's not a biological thing at all. Most women don't have pain with sex the first time they put a penis in there. You know, the penis ain't that mighty. Let's let's, <laughs> let's be honest about that. We still see it today. Like, I didn't bleed when I had sex the first time. Yeah, yeah, most women don't actually. And so we have all these hoops that are built into religions and society that I think twist how women think about their bodies and in such unproductive and shameful ways. Just keeping us in our place, making sure we're good girls. Exactly. Why don't men have to be good boys? No. Well, boys will be boys, won't they? Right. You've touched on that there with the wellness thing. And I wasn't sure if you were bored of talking about, I'm not even going to call it a fight, but you're trouncing of Gwyneth Paltrow (laughs) and the, the jade egg nonsense. But it does, it fits in with that whole cell about wellness and our vaginas. So I wondered, I've got a very close friend and I adore her and she is not a prude. But every time I go around, I see Femme Fresh in her bathroom. Mm. What should I be saying to her? Tell her that's like cigarettes for her vagina and she's supporting the patriarchy. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to write on the card. Yeah, I mean, seriously, I need these like Jen Gunter cards that people can pass out to their friends. (laughs) Yeah, totally. That that have these like sentences on them because or, you know, when, when your girlfriend, like now we have women who are like ashamed of the size of their labia. I mean, how many men are ashamed of the size of their penis, right? Right. Right. And so my whole thing is love your labial cleavage. Love it. Why is labial cleavage? I mean, your labia are sexually responsive. Making your labia smaller would be the exact same as making a penis smaller. Exact same. What plastic surgeon would recommend that to men so they look better in their genes? Should we start writing sex tips for men and it'll be like number 68, whenever you see labia, remember to gasp. Yeah, exactly. Whenever you see labia, just say... How may I stroke those for you? (laughs) (laughs) Or I'd really like to kiss those. Um, Those are the, you know, if someone says something shitty to you at your body, you should kick them out of bed. Like, they're an asshole. We tried to adopt to this was a long time ago, a, a British GP. And she'd sort of got in touch with us to tell us that she was getting a lot more young girls, and I'm talking 15, 14, 15, coming into her office and saying, my vagina's wrong they were the words they were using and just they were they thought their their vagina their vulva should look like a a porn stars and they were being told by boys their age that their vaginas are wrong it's horrible it's it's horrible it's absolutely horrible so what happens i think what happened when porn became available to everybody and if you like to watch porn because that turns you on Great. It's acting, though. That's important to remember. It's mm-hmm. not a documentary. <laughs> if that's your fantasy, great. Everybody's got different fantasies, whatever. However, what happens when you see images of naked women and they're the first ones you see, that primes you to think that that's what's normal. So it's really the product of having inadequate sex education. You need to have quality sex education first. So you can say, oh, look, labias come in all shapes and sizes, just like penises. And that's fine. And obviously, movies, porn, whatever, select for certain body types, right? Yeah. All movies do. There's, there's a reason, you know, most top actresses are not a size 16, right? Yeah. Clearly, industries select for body types. And that, you should assume that's the same everywhere for different reasons or, or not. Maybe not. Maybe it's just the popular porn that shows that, right? But whatever. Yeah, I see this. And women, I see young girls crying that they have an Audi vagina. What? That's the term oh. they use for their labia minora being larger than their labia majora. And I'm like, you know, 50% of women are built this way. 50%. 
And plastic surgeons are capitalizing on it. It's just horrific. In the United States, having labial reduction under the age of 18 is considered female genital mutilation, as it should be. I mean, the idea that you would have your labia reduced, something that's sexually responsive, before you even really understand what good sex is. Because I don't think most 16-year-olds, even if they're sexually active, have a great understanding of good sex. Maybe a few do. But if you're partnering with 16-year-old boys, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> and, and these requests don't come from women who partner with women, right? They know what normal genitals look like. Hello. Sorry to add to this advert break before we let you get on with the rest of this fantastic podcast. But just before that, to let you know that tickets for our International Men's Day Eve special have sold out, as have tickets for our show at The Stand in Newcastle on January the 12th. Sorry if you missed those, but we are back in London for our last show of the year on December the 11th. We will be joined by Daisy Haggard, she of Psychoville episodes and Back to Life fame. No way! Yes way, indeed. And we think tickets for this show would make a rather lovely Christmas present. So do have a look on our website if you'd like to give the gift of lols this Christmas. And you can find that at www.standardissuepodcast.com. When we're taught sex education, again, it's very much about reproduction. That's still the focus. And I know it's changing, but it's changing very slowly. But because the focus is on reproduction, it's then on male ejaculation and therefore on male pleasure. Everything that women are taught can be still down to the money shot. <laughs> now it's ejaculation, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, and it's everywhere. I mean, I, um, when we, we, we just watched Game of Thrones, me and my kids, we, we binged it recently. And I have 16 year old twin boys, you know, who are very woke. And I mean, you should see the, I mean, there's boxes of books that say vagina Bible all over my house. There's, you know, <laughs> vagina puppets. There's all kinds of things, right? So they're like, they're used to it. So we're watching Game of Thrones. And every time there's a, a consensual sex scene that comes on, I start timing the time from insertion to from what looks like insertion to a female orgasm. Yeah. You know, it's like three seconds. Mm-hmm. And so of course then I stop. And of course my kids are like, are you timing the orgasms again? I'm like, <laughs> yes, yes I am. Um, but you know, so those are the images. So even if you're not watching porn, you are seeing these images in every popular movie of basically the second a penis goes in, the back is arching, you know, the moaning. It's like, really? Because that's not really how it works. I mean, sure, it feels good. It feels great when it slides in if it's the right person. But three seconds to orgasm? Yeah, that's not really quite. I mean, unless there's been an extensive amount of prep beforehand, uh, you know, with oral sex or vibrators. But, you know, those aren't shown. Yeah, they've mostly still got their trousers on, to be honest. Well, yes, yes, because it's so quick because he just whips his pants down and you whip your skirt up. And, of course, seconds just like that. It's just so fulfilling. It's laughable, though. How are we not laughing at it? I know. I, 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 I sometimes think I would love to do, like, um, some kind of, like, video show where I take popular sex scenes and, like, rip them apart. Oh, you should totally do voiceovers to what the woman's <laughs> actually thinking. It, it, these are the images we see everywhere. Like, if you go to a museum, and I got really obsessed with this when I was writing the book, all the Greek-Roman statues have penises, pubic hair on the men. Sometimes you can even see their urethra and the foreskin. I mean, like they're detailed, right? Mm -hmm. Women all have their legs closed and it's a mysterious mound. (laughs) 
That is what I call my I, vagina, my mysterious mysterious. I mean, think about it. These are statues where they sculpt fabric out of marble and it looks real. Yeah. Like that's how amazing they are. Think about how beautiful they could make labia, right? How beautiful they could do that. You know, it's all just mysterious mound. There you go. Oh, God. I'm a little bit nervous to ask you this question, but I'm also too intrigued not to. What is your most detested bit of misinformation about the vagina and the vulva? Well, you know, it varies from day to day. I <laughs> You've got so but, many to choose from. But I think, you know, my top sort of couple, because they're the most harmful, I think, because if you could undo like one of the core myths, it's sort of like killing the hydra as opposed to cutting one head off. So I think that one would be that the vagina and the uterus are dirty and filled with toxins. Yeah. So that would be one, because that's the core tenet of the patriarchy. And I think another one would be that the hymen, is not there for anything except it's an evolutionary remnant and it has nothing to do with this societal construct of virginity. I mean, elephants have hymens, buffaloes have hymens, cows have hymens, dogs have hymens. If it was related to marriage, why did they evolve to have them? <laughs> or maybe we just don't know those things about the buffaloes and the elephants yet. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm still waiting for my invitation to some buffalo marriage. <laughs> <laughs> have you not been watching the buffalo porn? <laughs> Well, I'm Canadian. I should be. Yeah, totally. That's where it originates from. <laughs> the provincial animal from my province, Manitoba, is the bison. And that was the mascot for where I went to school, Manitoba bison. So so what would you like to see for women and their vaginas and vulvas, or as you term it, your vagenda, which is lovely stuff? Well, I just want everybody to have information. I'm very obsessed with the concept of informed choices and informed consent. So, you know, if you learn everything about pubic hair and the risks of pubic hair removal and you decide you want to remove pubic hair, great. It's your body and your choice. But making that decision and saying, oh, well, everybody does it and it's not natural to have pubic hair, that's uninformed choice, yeah. right? So I want everybody to have informed choices. That's all. It, it, I truly believe it's your body and your choice. But so much of what's sold to women is misinformation and misinformed choice and it's often packaged so well, especially by wellness, as being empowerment, right? So that's the ultimate bait and switch, to take misinformation and rebrand it in a way that it's somehow an empowering decision to use. So, so I think that I want people to be aware. I want, I want people to, every time they see a product being sold to them by wellness, to say, how would I feel if this product was presented to me in the same way from the pharmaceutical industry? You know, the pharmaceutical industry told me to take these supplements and they provided no research. And all of the data that we have tells us that you're more likely to die taking supplements unless you have very specific medical indications. I'm talking about for otherwise healthy people, right? You know, yeah. It's not like you have iron deficiency and you need an iron replacement or you've had bariatric surgery and you need to take multivitamins. If the pharmaceutical industry said, oh, hey, you should learn about our drugs from us, not from doctors, people would be in arms. They would be enraged. So wellness is doing the, the, their worst. No wellness products ever prove that they're effective. They just make all these claims. I mean, I was on Twitter this yesterday bitching about organic pads and tampons. They make all these claims about conventional products, that they're full of pesticides and toxins. They've never done studies to show that ever. There's no data to show that exists, none. And so they're lying to people. My point is always, if someone's lying to you about one thing, what else are they lying to you about? Yeah. 
You have been referred to as Twitter's resident gynecologist, and I love it because you're using the platform for good and for swearing, and they are two of my favorites. Um, where can people find you? Yeah, they can find me on Twitter at Dr. Jen Gunter, and they can find me on Instagram at Dr. Jen Gunter, and they can find me on Facebook at Dr. Jen Gunter, and they can find me on YouTube, although I'm a little bit deficient in my videos. I need to, maybe I'm going to do a, a Game of Thrones sex scene oh, I'd love um, <laughs> on YouTube at Dr. Jen Gunter, and then you can find my book the vagina bible and uh everywhere uh books are sold and on amazon amazing and i totally recommend it listeners it does feel very powerful to have that knowledge and i think all all girls and indeed boys should read it so they know what they're doing yeah and i think you know i i i was also very insistent and, and my publisher was very supportive about you know also having a chapter on trans health because not everybody who has a vagina identifies as a woman and a trans men who are going through transition or taking hormones may also have vaginal effects and you know whether it's a trans person who's reading the book and they feel then hopefully they feel that they're being included. I truly believe that information is liberating. It really is. And facts are almost always helpful. So I'm hopeful that my book helps people in that way. Jen, thank you so much for writing it. And thank you so much for talking to me. It's been absolutely fascinating. Oh, it was fucking awesome. (laughs) 